the name is chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Then he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood up on a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in the hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Notice if we'll, the Bible said, What seest thou? The theme of the book of Amos is basically a vision concerning Edom being punished because of the brutality that she brought against the nation of Israel. Now, the, 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 uh, Edom, if you will, uh, is modern day part of southwestern part of uh, uh, Jordan itself. And we know that Edom had been a ruthless enemy toward Israel, mistreating them over and over again. And yet Amos tells us that there would be an immediate judgment coming upon the land of Moab, and there were, uh, Edom rather, and there would also be a future judgment uh, when the day of the Lord was to come. So the nation of Israel had been succumbed to so much mistreatment uh, by the land of Edom. And God said judgment is coming upon them. And one day uh, that land will go back to the nation of Israel itself. With that being said, I think we can learn something. God blesses the nations that bless Israel, and God curses the nations uh, that bring a curse upon Israel itself. Now that background in mind, permit me if I may, to lift three words uh, from the text this morning as the basis of my thinking. You'll look in Amos 7, 8, God asked the prophet, what seest thou? This is not the first time that God ever asked the prophet this question. As a matter of fact, he asked Amos the same thing in chapter 8. And if you look in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you will find that God asked those two prophets the same question, what seest thou or what is it that you're seeing? And perhaps God could be asking you and me the same question this morning, what do we see or what seest thou today? It's an important question because often our conduct is determined by our vision. And if we are not looking correctly or seeing correctly, our conduct may not be in occurrence with what God would have us to be at all. The Bible lets me know that without, where there is no vision, uh, people perish. We've all heard the expression, I'm sure, that someone cannot see beyond the end of their nose. Why? Their lack of vision. More times than not, we're so accustomed to looking at what's right in front of us or what's just right around us, and we often don't focus upon important things that God would have us to see. Uh, sometimes things are too trivial. Uh, sometimes we go through so much mundane things in life that we fail to focus upon the things that are important to God. We fail to focus upon the things that are important to our own selves as far as time and eternity uh, is considered. We need someone like an Elijah this morning to help pray us to have our eyes open that we might see what God would desire us to see. May the Holy Spirit help us this morning to catch a glimpse of eternal things, the things that really matter, not just the peripheral things of the here and now, but the eternal things that matter for both time as well as for eternity. What seest thou? What do we really need to see? What do we really need to know? Again, we are often so oppressed with what we see, we fail to focus upon what God wants us to see. What seest thou? What do you see this morning? Well, first of all, I see a dying race of people. For ever since Adam and sinned in the Garden of Eden, ever since they sinned in the Garden of Eden, the sentence of death has been pronounced upon this human family. I see in this room men and women in their 80s, maybe perhaps some in their 90s. I see middle-aged people. I see teenagers today that are here uh, that have life before them should the Lord tarry and should they live. 
Our nursery this morning is filled with children that's learning about Jesus and learning about the things of God. We have two nurseries this morning. Some are crawling on the floor listening to Bible stories and some are sitting in high chairs eating church cookies. But one thing is for sure I can say this morning, young, old, middle-aged, wherever we may be, we're all marching in lockstep fashion to this thing called the grave and there is no way out of it. The consequences of sin have been pronounced upon us by the Creator and the Maker of our life and we go step by step, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year to this place that awaits every one of us and it's called the grave. I remind you there's no going back, there is no standing still, there is no reverse course, there is no stopping, there is no turning around, there is no resting place and even while we sleep at night we're heading to this place called death whether you like it or not. The thing that's intrigued me the last few days when I'm in the hospital with my mother, I'm sitting there and they come in and say, are you her husband or are you her son? <laughs> the last one asked me, I kind of got ticked and I said, hey, I'm 66, she's 88. And I took the mask off. Oh, you look younger now. <laughs> I wanted to say, you lie and your feet stink, but I didn't. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you're not the person this week, you were last week. We've gotten older and we're getting older. Friend, we're, time does not move fast. We move fast. Time remains the same. We march on and we walk face to face with that awful truth that death has overtaken us and one day we will stand before our maker and our creator. We're part of a dying race. I don't care how much money you have, you cannot stop death from coming your way. I don't care how many degrees you have by your name, you cannot stop death uh, from coming your way. I care not this morning how much money you have, what popularity you may have, who you may know in the White House or the drug house, it's not going to slow death down in your life one iota. Not only do we know that physical death is coming for us, but the Word of God lets me know there's a thing called the second death where we will stand before the judgment bar of God and He's not going to ask what kind of money do you have, where did you live, or what did you do? He's going to ask the question, what have you done with my Son, Jesus Christ the Lord? And thank God if we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior, thank God the second death will have no hold upon us, will have no terror up on us because we worship the one who's overcame death and the grave itself and I praise God for that this morning. I've seen too many people die and I've watched them take their last breath and their fighting and their struggle and their vain efforts to live. I've seen the sinner die and I've watched them fight against, against this pale horse uh, that we know of as death today. It's so sad to watch somebody uh, wrestle <clears throat> for breath uh, to try to become, they get shorter and shorter and grasp and struggle uh, for one more breath of life uh, to keep them alive. But here's the point is, friend, they're simply approaching this cane called the second death. Uh, there may be every one of us in this room, should the Lord tarry, we may experience death uh, before we know it. And I don't care how young or old you may be, but I'll tell you one thing, there is not a one of us in this room that has to experience the second death all alone. You may tell you why? We serve our risen Savior. Uh, we serve a God who took your sin and my sins and nailed them to a cross. Uh, we serve a God that rose from the grave for your justification and my justification. Uh, we serve a God today whose blood was shed and because that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, they're never to be brought back up to us again. And when physical death comes my way, I know my Redeemer lives. He's not just one that's going to get me through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank God. He'll take me through death itself and bring me out on the other side victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Praise 
Christ God. My Redeemer lives, I shall live as well. The good news is this. Many of you in this room can have the assurance. Many under the sound of my voice can have the assurance that the second death will have no power of you. We can be forgiven and cleansed and free and sanctified and neither physical death nor the second death will hold any terror for you. My Redeemer lives. You can have a Redeemer that lives. Jesus overcome death. I am he that's alive and died and behold, I am alive forevermore. What seest thou? I see love, mercy, and grace of God offered to those of us in this room yet again today. Oh, the grace of God. Oh, the love of God. Oh, the mercy of God. Oh, the compassion of God. How pure and how rich. One of the, one of the most awesome attributes of my Heavenly Father is this. His mercy and His grace is offered to a people in open rebellion and hatred against Him. Please let that sink in. One of the awesome attributes of our God is His love, His mercy, and grace is offered to a people that are in total rebellion against Him today. I have sinner friends, and I know people get offended by the word sinner. I am so tired of political correctness. I'm so tired of pronoun changes. Let's have some adjective changes. Look at me and call me handsome. You can say that all day long and it ain't going to work. I'm tired of pronoun changes. I'm tired of adjective changes. I was a sinner going to hell. A sinner needs a savior. If that's offensive, get over it. We need a savior, a redeemer. His name is Jesus. I've got sinners in this world that would give me the shirt off of their back. But they stand as an enemy to the almighty God for their works are as filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. In honor their generosity, in honor their love for me, they're in rebellion against God and rebellion against his holy word. They stand in league with Satan. They stand in league with the demons of darkness and everything that's, that's good and decent and right. They're against all of that. Yet God is merciful. God is full of grace. And God is full of pity. How do you know? Because that was me. That was you. All the love of God that came down to man and saved us in our mess. The Bible said he loved us before he washed us. Glory to God. Why doesn't God cut him off? Why doesn't God crush him in a rebellion? Why does God give you yet another chance to hear the message of salvation? His mercy, his grace, his love, his pity. The mercy of God is not strained. The weeping prophet Jeremiah said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Friend, not one of us in this room earned anything from God. Not a one of us in this room worked our way to God. It is he who came down and found you and me drowning in our sinful pool of sin. And he rescued us. What seest thou? I see a world that's tried everything in its power to bring peace and contentment to the human heart without success. There's no peace and contentment apart from knowing God. The Bible said, there is no peace, saith God, to the wicked. No man separated from God and his love can be content to have any type of a deep-seated peace or any type of joy in their life until they come to know Jesus Christ in free pardon of sin. 
We often go to the drugstore, the prescription from our doctor to get something to, t to deal with depression, to deal with anxiety, to deal with pain, to deal with all of these things. But friend, we've got to find something you cannot find in a pill. It's got to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need cannot be found in a pill, and what we need cannot be found in a bottle of booze, but it can be found in this person called Jesus Christ the Lord. Mankind, with all of his inventions, with all of his brilliance, with all of his learning, with all of his efforts, is unable to get along with himself. You ever argue with yourself? I do. I hope I'm not schizophrenic. You ever, anybody out there besides me argue with yourself? Who wins? Nobody. Families can't get along together in peace. Husbands and wives can't get along together in peace. Children and, and, and adults can't get along together in peace. Communities cannot get along in peace. Governments cannot get along in peace. Branches of government cannot get along in peace. And for that matter, there are many churches that cannot get along together in peace. And therefore, they end up splitting and lives are ruined because of the burn and the hurt and the pain of church splits. We've tried the United States of America and there's more turmoil, there's more division, and there's more hatred in our country today than any time I've been alive in America. We've tried the League of Nations, we've tried the World Court, we've tried the United Nations, all hoping and planning on peace, at least among those that join. But how's that working out for us? The hippie movement of the 60s, remember that? How many of you are in that? You don't have to raise your hand. But the hippie movement of the 60s proclaimed free drugs, open sex, love, Yet it lead to disease and death and many of the peace camps but turn war-driven zones. All hoping for a world satisfied finally with peace and utopia. John Lennon, oh, I wish there was no heaven, I wish there was no hell, I wish there was no religion, we just get around kumbaya. They all failed and the ones that haven't failed will fail. Yes. They will fail. The mind of man, the heart of man is helpless and powerless against the spirit of hatred, confusion, and this war-torn world in which we live in today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe uh, the United Nations will bring peace to the world? I see uh, most of it are going like this. We don't believe it either. It seems that no one believes it will. I'm convinced that the dove of peace will never spread out those brilliantly beautiful white wings over our nation until the Prince of Peace himself has been invited to sit down at the table of your heart and drink and sup with you. It's the only way to have peace is through Jesus Christ the Lord. When Jesus, the Lamb of Calvary and the Lion of the tribe of Judah have come back into this world, there'll be peace, praise God, that the world cannot give and peace the world cannot take away. It is it's not something for a fleeting moment. It'll be a lifestyle, praise God. We're trading in this old world for a new one to come, praise God. Peace and joy and harmony with the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Hallelujah to his name today. Man's plan will ever and always fail unless it is directed by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ was born, the Bible said, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there's an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praying in God saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace yeah. hallelujah peace and goodwill to men you may go to the drugstore and find some rest but you'll not find peace in that prescription 
It comes from Jesus. What, what sayest thou? I see a world that appears to be in a mad rush towards its own destruction. Ours is a busy world. It's filled with a lot of hurry up and wait. You ever had that one? Hurry up and wait. We're running to and fro, more busy than we ought to be. It's go, go, go. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Busy, busy, busy. Rush, rush, rush. There doesn't seem to be enough time today to get everything done that needs to be done. But the question is this, where in God's name are we going? Come on. Come on. In the midst of all of our hush, rush and business, where in the name of God are we going? To more ruin? To more destruction? To more pain? To judgment? I mean, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. To more chaos? On to more emptiness? And Christian, not to condemn you or to me, but are we too busy to pray for the prodigal to come home? Come on. Are we too busy to pray for our lost neighbors and comrades and family friends? Are we too busy to read the Bible enough to let it apply to our own lives, to where we know how to live the way Christ wants us to live? Are we too busy to do the things that God wants us to do? Hear me. We're busy, moving, going to and fro. But where are we going? God help us to take the time that you realize we're heading somewhere. And we're heading there in bullet-like speed. Many are laughing as they're going forward, giving no consideration to anything that God wants them to see or God wants them to know. They just see to the end of their nose, another drink, another snort, another party, another hoorah. And they're laughing on their way to hell. Smoking their pot. Pushing in their veins their recreational drug of their choice. Drinking the soap suds called beer and the wobble water called whiskey. And the wine of their taste thinking they're having a great time. And yet beyond the laughter and the party experience there awaits them a place of judgment. Reserved for Satan and his angels. But because of the hurriness, because of the busyness, because of the party attitude, because of the gangs that they run with and the crowds they run with, and the same friends that flock together, they don't take the time to recognize that God has a plan for their lives. God has a reason for their destiny and eternity waits them. Too many people are on the grand march to destruction and they're going, if you will, at breakneck speed to their eternal destination. Merciful God, speak to our neighbors, speak to our prodigals, speak to our co-workers, speak to our family, speak to our friends. Because there's one heartbeat that separates them from eternity. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only off-ramp to the road to destruction right. that many are traveling Amen. today. Amen. There are many isms, there are many religions, there are many indoctrinations. There are many philosophies. There's only one way. Amen. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And his name is Jesus. What seest thou? I see a generation of people that's hanging suspended over hell. And only the grace of God's holding them up. I cannot find the words to adequately describe grace. God's unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. God not giving to us what we do deserve. God 
you know, how do you explain it? Let me try to illustrate. Several years ago when I was teaching one of the classes at Southeastern, I had an Old Testament survey class, and that class had about, I think I taught seven classes that semester. I had 105 students in this one class. Understanding they're like three months removed from being seniors in high school. We were studying Old Testament, and I thought the students were having difficulty understanding the difference between grace and law. So I thought, how do I explain the difference? How do, how do they grasp it? So the first test that we had, in those days, we gave out scantrons, or little white papers with little red dots, and you fill in the dots to the answer, and it goes to the machine. So what I did is I had 100 questions on the exam, so I took the scantron, and I filled in every bubble. And then I made 105 copies. And on the bottom of it, I wrote in big letters, you have just received an A on your first exam. You did not do a thing to deserve this A. The creator of the exam took it for you. You just experienced grace. So they took that scantron and they turned it over and you could hear all the oxygen sucking around in that room. They were mesmerized. And I was not prepared for what happened. The power of God literally filled that room. Students began to weep and I began to weep. And one student stood at his feet and said, Dr. Davis, I committed a horrific sin a few weeks ago. I did not thank God to forgive me, but I know he has. One girl runs outside the class on the telephone calling her mom, Mom, I've got to make things right with you. I've got to make things right with you. Amen. A missionary was there from Mexico, been in the States for like three months. She said, this is the first time I've felt the presence of God since I've been in America. And one of the students in the back stood and said, Dr. Davis, my roommate and I, we were studying for this exam. We, couldn't, we just couldn't comprehend. But God said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Has he ever? I said, how many of you, study, how many of you students study for the test? One third. How many of you study a little bit? One third. How many of you never studied at all? About one third. I said to those you students that studied arduously for this test, is it fair to give an A to the ones that didn't study at all? They said, no, but it's okay. I said, no, is it fair? No, it's but okay. I said, but is it fair? And they said, no, it's not fair. I said, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. They turned to Matthew 25. They read the story of the parable. I said, you just experienced grace. And they bawled and they squalled. How do you explain the grace of God? They did not do one thing to prepare for that test or pass that test. I took it for them. You and I can do nothing to get right with God except to accept what he's done for us. Amen. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me real. Any person who does not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you are an enemy to God. You are an enemy to Jesus Christ. You are an enemy to the Holy Spirit. And you are an enemy to the church. You may not like it, but that does not change the, 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 the nomenclature of it. You are an enemy toward him. Yet on the other side, you cannot straddle this fence of separation from sin and holiness. You cannot this morning, despite being an enemy of God, here comes God the Father. In spite of being an enemy of God, here comes God Jesus Christ. In spite of being an enemy, here comes God the Holy Spirit. And in spite of being an enemy, here comes the church with a galleon message saying, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, and you are worthy to come to the kingdom of God, not because of who you are or what you've done, but all because of him. Yes. You can be at peace with God today. Those under the sound of my voice, you can have peace with God today. Those in this room that are struggling, you can have peace with God today. The Bible lets me know. He'll exchange your trouble 
for peace. He'll take your sin and give you wholeness. He'll take your darkness and give you light. He'll take your death and give you life. He'll take away the hell and give you heaven, hope of glory in your spirit and your soul this morning. The, the Apostle Paul said, the grace of God. For the grace of God hath appeared bringing salvation unto all men. Did you get it? Salvation hath appeared to all men. Salvation hath appeared to all men. That's your only refuge. That's your only hope this morning. Amen. But what will you do with it? The grace of God that caused Jesus Christ to come to this earth in the form of a man is here to help you today. It was the grace of God that caused Jesus to endure the pain, the suffering of the Garden of Gethsemane, the trials at Pilate's judgment hall, the whipping post where he was scourged, and finally the humiliation and the agony and the cruel death of Calvary. I beg you this morning, do not trample underfoot the grace, the mercy, the love, and the compassion of God. It's by only means whereby you can have peace of mind, joy in your spirit, life, and that life everlastingly. The grace of God, marvelous grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like you, and they can save all the rest. Above the darkness and trouble of this world, there shines a light. I saw that light for the first time 47 years ago in a little Assembly God church in the coal mining fields in the mountains of Virginia. I was tired of walking in dirtiness. I was tired of walking in darkness. I was tired of walking in disgrace. I was tired of walking around in emptiness. And this old sinner went to an old-fashioned altar and said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me of my sins and come in my heart? And thank God the light came on. Yeah. The Word became a light into my path and a lamp into my feet. That night I was able to walk out of my darkness and walk out of my dirtiness and walk out of my disgrace and walk into the fellowship of a Savior whom I've loved ever since. I needed that light. And just like me and thousands upon thousands and thousands of other people that came out of the darkness and dirtiness of sin, we need a step of certainty that will get us out of this world into the world to come. And his name is Jesus. Yes. I read a story some time ago about World War II. One of our ships was in the Pacific Ocean. A Japanese bomber bombed it. It began to sink. Many of the men were killed on that ship. Many were wounded. Many were bleeding and burning. It was a sad, sad, sad day. There were four sailors that were ushered down into a portal hole, a cabin, just a little bit underneath the level of the water. And they were there trying to get mended, but they were in terrible shape. They could hear the Japanese planes coming, still bombing, and that little ship was so far gone, it couldn't even return fire. And they, the command was to, 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 to jump overboard, get on the rafts, get on the lifeboats, and go. And those four sailors in that little old portal hole, that cabin, they could barely move because of the pain, their wounds, their bleeding. And they were commanded to go quickly through that portal hole. Well, they knew all four was not going to make it because the ship was bringing on water and it was bringing on water fast. So one of those four men said, all of you three go first. I'll go last. If I make it, I make it. If I don't, it doesn't matter. I know Jesus is my Savior. You don't. And if this ship goes down in the watery Pacific, my soul will rise 
and be carried into heaven by my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And he helped the best he could to get all three of those men. And the third one almost did not make it, but he survived. And sure enough, the ship went down and that fourth sailor did not survive. That's a wonderful story. What a powerful testimony of love sailors had among themselves, the camaraderie. How do you think those other three men felt? I think they appreciated the sacrifice. I think they appreciated the heroism. I, I think they cried a few tears. I think they probably talk about that young man today. And maybe one day, by the grace of God, we can meet that young man who's blessed our heart through the story left behind. But as powerful and as wonderful as it is, let me tell you something. Nobody made a sacrifice greater than Jesus Christ ever made for you and me. Jesus saw you sinking. Jesus saw me sinking. He saw us struggling for life. <clears throat> and he saw us struggling in life. He saw the cards that were stacked against us. He saw our vain efforts to rise above the tide of God's justice. He heard the sentence of death that was placed upon you, the sentence of death that was placed upon me. And I think he said some of this effect, Father, let me go down and take their place. Father, let me become one of them without partaking of their sins. Let me walk on that sin-cursed world. Let me feel what they feel and experience what they experience. Let me just go and show them I love them. Let me just go and be one of them. Let me just go and die for them. Let my blood satisfy your wrath. Let my blood please you. Let my blood that's shed take care of the sin question for time and eternity. Father, let me show them how much I love. Yeah. Our ship was sinking. And for some, your ship is sinking and you're going down fast. But that same Jesus, the blood that he shed over 2,000 years ago, still has the power and the ability and the authority to give you the peace that you need with the Almighty God this morning. The grace of God. His grace is here this morning. Sing it. Believe it. Receive it. Rejoice in it. Let this altar be filled this morning with the high-sounding praises to a God who said, I love you, and don't you ever deny that. Don't you ever doubt that. The love of God has been brought down to man. Jesus is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come in and sup with every one of us this morning. He'll fill the void in your heart. He'll fill the void in your soul. He'll light you up with joy. He'll light you up with peace. I'm so sick and tired of us carrying these burdens around when he said he would carry them for us. I'm so tired of pushing in a nickel check to God when he sits up on the throne with a million, spiritually speaking. I'm so tired this morning of us just barely any along when he said we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Don't look to yourself. Look unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. Let his mercy and let his grace work in your life and mine today. He'll come to give life. He'll deliver you from your bondage. He'll deliver you from your pain.